welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. Thank you, thank you, Hedy, thank you. It's not Hedy, it's Hedley, Hedley Lamar. What the hell are you worried about? This is 1874. You'll be able to sue her. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Preston. That is the second time we have used that I don't usually like to repeat sound bites in intros. Um, this seemed apt. Apt? Apt. It seemed apt, though, this week um, to do that going to talk about why I even took notes this week like I wrote an extremely brief like little outline so I'm not meandering like I normally do at the opening part of this I think everybody enjoys it I don't know if they do but I see I I, I have my notes right here uh, we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about here the next segment we're going to talk about uh, last weekend's game and preview BYU a little bit then we do have a guest this week Nick Lee from Vanquish the Foe, uh, here to talk about his BYU Cougars. This is a battle for the Go Cougs hashtag, I think, this weekend. So uh, Nick gives us a lot of really good scoop on the Cougs coming up to Pullman um, from Provo this weekend. And then, as always, we end with our Dunder Head of the Week and Ask Michael Anything. Um, If you've been a frequent listener of this show, and I hope you have been, and if you have not been, I hope... I can do enough to convince you to stay, or if this is your only time, that's fine too. Um, But I can't count how many times over the last couple of months I have said that this is where we were going to get. We were going to get right to here. When Nick Rolovich was refusing to answer questions about why he would not take a COVID-19 vaccine. We were going to get here because we all knew that at some point the FDA was going to give their full authorization to one of those three vaccines that are currently available in the United States and state governments and institutions and whomever else were going to be able to require vaccination as a condition of employment. And I read you that that part of Nick Rolovich's contract last week that basically says you agree to adhere to all university rules and policies moving forward. Um, This was always going to get to right where we were on Monday. The only way it didn't was if the exemption request was still outstanding, but it clearly was not. Um... We were always going to get right here. Always. And I I don't want anybody to think that for one moment that anybody is popping champagne over this, is celebrating with a shotgun of a beer, is dancing in the street. They might be happy that the school stuck to its guns and did what they needed to do here. But nobody is happy that this relationship devolved to the point that we have now lost our football coach in the middle of the season. And it is four 
cause. I want to repeat that because it bears repeating. It is for cause. This is not we were pissed off about results. This is not the recruiting was bad. This is not nobody's going to games. This this is none of those not for cause, all the regular stuff a coach gets fired for. No, this is for cause. This is because the, he was violating his contract by not doing this. We were always going to get right here. This is how it was always going to end from the moment he released that statement before Pac-12 Media Days to yesterday when Pat Chun gave him the heave-ho. This is how this was going to end. And it kills me. Because we were all so excited about Nick Rolovich. He handled the first part of the pandemic so well. He handled Bryce Beekman's death brilliantly. I see players of his at Washington State, Jalen Watson, talk about how much he loves and respects him. Jaden Delora put out a wonderful statement saying that the players obviously disagree with that decision. Um, and I'll touch on that right now so I don't forget. I get that they disagree with the decision. The kids only see their coach losing his job, a coach they really like. Because as Jahad Woods pointed out, he will never forget that Rolovich and one of his defensive coaches put on a financial literacy class for his players, taught them how to use credit, how to buy a home, how to do all the really important things in life. And that is something that Nick Rolovich should be admired for. He should be held up as that is a really excellent thing to do for your student-athletes, to give them tools for after college, because it shows you that he is a player's coach. And we, you know, we've said all the time, a player's coach is not necessarily more successful than a dictator. Okay, but it at least it, it shows where the rubber met the road for him there. These are all things and reasons why I perfectly well understand that these players are upset. They've got every right to be. As Pat Chun and others have pointed out, they've been through a hell of a lot in the last five to six years. I'm not going to re go over everything, but I think you guys all know what they've gone through. <laughs> but start when that statement came out in July, there was at least a little part of me that knew we were going to get right to here. And I don't know if there's anything Nick Rolovich could have done differently to avoid this. I don't know if he could have gone to Kirk Schultz and Pat Chun and said, Hey guys, I don't want to get the shot, but I'm also not going to try to make your life miserable. So let's work on something. Can we work on anything together um, to do this? Because I maybe understand I'm putting you guys in a difficult position. So is there anything we can do together to do this? Uh, you know, like explaining himself to the media as time went on instead of just I'm not going to talk about why that is not an answer to that question especially when the question is about whether you are going to lose your job or not and not about results not about anything it is a law it is state law it is black and white not answering the question, dodging it, saying you don't want to talk about it is not answering the question. And it is every reason for a journalist to continue to ask the question. Journalists don't just move on when they don't get an answer to a question. But 
this is where I think Nick Rolovich's fatal flaw was in all of this. He just kind of assumed they would. And I recognize this personality flaw because it is one I have in spades. It is stubbornness, and it is when you get backed into a corner instead of trying to find your way out with a compromise, you dig your heels in and you make it worse. That is me to a T. That is every stubborn person that you know. It is digging in no matter the consequences. We don't know and can only speculate on whether Nick Rolovich's religious beliefs were sincere enough to get a religious exemption because he will not speak about them. He will not talk about the reasons why he wanted this exemption from the COVID-19 vaccination. He will not do it. That is what I am talking about when I say the stubbornness and digging in. It's that that answer to him, the answer of I'm not going to talk about it, should have been good enough. But it is not good enough. Not when you work for a public university. Not when you work at a state-run institution. It is not good enough. Jaden Delora put it a really good way in his letter that he put on social media. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it up in front of me, but it is basically that we understand that no one is bigger than the program. And I don't know that Nick Rolovich thought he was bigger than the program, but he certainly acted like it. And he certainly thought he was going to come out ahead of the institution that he worked for. But again, no one is bigger than the program, and no one is bigger than the institution. I'm going to read you what Kirk Schultz said. I didn't have that pulled up. I'm going to read you what Kirk Schultz said in the release to the media after it was reported that Nick Rolovich was released. So actually, I'll read you what Pat Chun said first, and then I'll read you what Kirk Schultz said first, and you see if you can tell the difference. Pat Chun, this is a disheartening day for our football program. Our priority has been and will continue to be the health and well-being of the young men on our team. The leadership on our football team is filled with young men of character, selflessness, and resiliency, and we are confident these same attributes will help guide the program as we move forward. Okay? Talking about it. Maybe not why the choice was made, because earlier in the release it says why it was made. It's all about the state proclamation. Here's what Kirk Schultz said. While much has been made of the relatively small number of university employees who are not complying with the governor's mandate, we are immensely gratified that nearly 90% of WSU employees and 97% of our students are now vaccinated. WSU students, faculty, and staff understand the importance of getting vaccinated and wearing masks so that we can safely return to in-person learning and activities. I'm proud of all these members of our community who have set the example and taken the steps to protect not just themselves, but their fellow Cougs. should probably tell you all you need to know about really how this was ever going to go. No mention of the team. No mention of the program. No mention of Nick Rolovich. No mention of fans. No mention of anything. Much has been made. And, and, and that make no mistake, that first line is about Nick Rolovich. I realize I said he didn't mention it, but that, that's what that first line's about. 
What Kirk Schultz is upset with is the PR disaster that this university went through a year ago with the incredible spike in COVID cases in Pullman when kids were back in town because they had apartment leases signed and they couldn't get out of them. It was a disaster. And now what do they do? They managed to get 97% of the kids who were coming back to campus vaccinated. Does anybody know that? You might because you pay attention. Does Spokane Media, does Seattle Media, does Tri-Cities Media, does Portland Media, does National Media know that? No. They know his head coach isn't vaccinated, is refusing to do so, and will probably be fired for it. That's what they know. Kirk Schultz knows no one is bigger than the institution. Not even Kirk Schultz is bigger than the institution. That is why we are where we are right now. And again, I did not want this. I did not want this to end this way. I did not want a guy who I was so excited to see hired, a guy who clearly had the team playing better over the last three games, so it is clear that he can coach up a football team and can fix problems. I did not want this to go this way. But here we are, with Jake Dickert as the interim head coach, and the school trying to fill out the rest of the offensive staff after most of after a lot of them got fired as well on Monday. And in all likelihood, all of these assistant coaches will be out of a job at the end of the year. And yeah, they will work again, but it will not be at a Power 5 institution right away. It might not even be at a G5 institution right away. It might not even be at an FCS institution right away. I'm. I I don't I don't I don't know where else to go. All I can tell you is that I'm just upset. And the simple thing would have been to get your shot, Nick. It really would have been. The even simpler thing off the bat would be to say why you didn't want to. Because if it's a medical reason, I think we can, at least most of us can respect that. If it's religious, we might still have some questions, but I'm still going to respect that. But you didn't say anything about that until your mentor did to USA Today. So not only did you dig in on this, you handled it about as badly as you could. And... It really was the one thing you couldn't handle this badly. Jake Dickert's going to be the man uh, who replaces Nick Rolovich uh, at least for the rest of the year. You can probably at least consider this um, partially an audition for Jake Dickert to have the full-time job. I don't really know how realistic it is for him to get the full-time job. Um, but in his, uh, in his statement today or in his press conference today, uh, he said a lot of the right things. Um, you know, a great day per, for perspective. Um, he wants you to come out and support the players if you're mad to do that. 
Um, he's got a lot of support from the players, at least publicly, um, on social media as well. He said a lot of what it meant, you know, that adversity is life's greatest challenge and that, um, you know, small towns are what I know. <laughs> I know when RVs come to town. And that's very realistic and uh, realistic. It's a very good thing uh, to be aware of in Pullman. But he also said something really important, and I think this is going to be more important for the players, and that is that um, from Brenna Green, uh, the Krem Sports Director, on her Twitter feed, she had the video of him saying um, that I'm here for them, that I feel that, that I understand them, we're here all the time, we're in it with them. I, I kind of only talked about the players in passing earlier, um, but they really are the ones most affected by this. And I, I think a lot of Jake Dickard's press conference, there was there was a lot of you know, like coaching platitudes and he was hitting, he was hitting the bingo card a lot on thing, the right saying the right thing, in the press conference. But I think it was important because this is a weird situation, right? Like you're not ever going to be in this situation again, or really a similar one. Um, but to basically come out and say that, that what the fired coach would want us to do is to move forward. I think he would want us to do that and that he talked to the players, and that um, he wants them to know that he is there for them, and that he has their back through a very difficult time, because these kids have been through a lot of difficult times. Um, he was the most natural leader to take over for Nick Rolovich. I'm hopeful that in these final five games, um, he will be able to steer the ship as well as he can. Um, it's going to be interesting to see whether he can or not. He's going to keep his defensive coordinator duties um, for the time being, um, and again, this is, you can probably consider this a partial audition for him. I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, you know, if you get to the end of the year and you're kind of in a Mario Cristobal situation where, where the players really like him and, you know, again, that that's weeks down the road, but if the players really like him, can you really get rid of him? I don't know, but again, I'm not saying you're going to get rid of him. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what he has to say. Um, also what he said, and again, I, the, the, having the tweet about him getting vaccinated pinned at the top of his profile is a shot across the bow to making sure that he can get this job. Um, but what he said about it, um, about it specifically, and again, this is from Brenna Green, I was trying to do something for the players. They deserve to have people in the stands. These roars that we've heard the last couple of Saturdays have been unbelievable. I was trying to do everything to do that for them. Says a lot without saying a lot, doesn't it? Let's talk about the Stanford Cardinal. Let's talk about the BYU Cougars coming up right after this on the Cook Center Hour. We're back on the Coog Center Hour now that we have got uh, the very critical business uh, out of the way. Um, we can talk about the fun business, which was extending the winning streak over the Stanford Cardinal to five games. David Shaw having Martin Stadium become his own personal house of horrors. And as it turns out, it's not just Mike Leach he can't beat on the other sideline at Washington State. Uh, the Cougs won that one 34-31. Uh, again, another game that kind of went back and forth, and I think we can at least confidently say at this point they appear to have shaken, um, you know, that second-half bugaboo um, that they didn't adjust, and, you know, you kind of were worried after that Utah State game that, oh boy, is what we do in the first half all we're ever going to do? That was a little worrying, I think, um, after that game, and especially after... 
uh, the abbreviated season uh, that they had before. But again, another game where they went behind uh, in the first half. Uh, another game. Well, they've done that a few times. But they did go behind in the first half. Came back, roared back with 20 points in the second. Went behind again in the fourth quarter. Uh, and then came back to win it at the last moment. And again, we saw more of those big plays. Um, I mean, two of Jaden Delora's passes got me. Well, they got they they got me pregnant pretty much. They were so pretty. Um, that is what we talked about last week that had been missing from this offense is that deep threat, that kind of like kill shot type of pass because that is really what you need to really open things up because the defense it, it it's not you know the running shoot is obviously not the air raid um but it is the air raid in the sense that you need those plays to open up things underneath for teams to respect the run you need to be able to hit shots like that because if you are not teams don't need to worry about anything over the top so they can focus almost exclusively on everything underneath and that is just not the case for Jaden Delora right now he had almost 10 yards per attempt in that game against Stanford and I'm not sure I you know I can't remember a specific play where I might have thought otherwise but I, I think he took about as good a care of the football as we've seen him do um, in his career at WSU. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I, I think that is the best game he has played. I think we can probably say that without hesitation. Um, he looked really, really good. And the thing I continue to be really, really struck by um, with him specifically, besides his leader, you know, and again, I don't know if he was just kind of chosen as the guy who would send out that statement after Rolovich's dismissal, which he does make the most sense to do anyway. Um, but I'm I'm kind of struck by how quickly he is coming along and how fast he has gone from being what seemed to be a pretty immature kid to at least in game. Um, he he has oh my goodness gracious, skills wise, he has really just taken off like a rocket. It it has honestly been amazing to watch just over the course of this year. And I'm going to bring it up again because at 4-3, and three, I now have to look at that Utah State game again. And I really have to wonder why Jaden Delora didn't start. Because if he was suspended, there's no reason for him to come in after Gu- Garantano gets hurt. So I'm I'm still baffled as to what the coaching staff was thinking. With A, the fact that Jarrett Garantano, who I'm sure is a perfectly nice human being, but he is not as good as Jaden Delora is at playing quarterback. And it is very evident that there is a big gulf between those two at that position. I'm left to wonder what would happen because... Staring down five and two with a very beatable Arizona team still on the schedule makes a world of difference. Now you got to find one more somewhere. It could be this weekend against BYU. Um, but just seeing him come along these last few weeks has honestly been incredible. And I mean, even just from the Cal game uh, to here, just even these last three wins. Like I said, I don't, I don't think I've seen him take better care of the football uh, than he has ever. Uh, and these deep, he's finally hitting those home run balls because he, you can clearly tell he's, he's a very big fan of the deep pass and the hero ball. 
Um, but what was missing was his ability to connect with his receivers on those. Um, that is not a problem anymore for Jaden Delora. So that has been uh, just a wonderful thing to see kind of take off as this season has gone on. This is also, I, I, I think I'm going to come around to this, especially after his starring role in the uniform review, in the uniform, who says uniform like that, uniform, in the uniform reveal video, um, and after his performance on the football field so far this year, this is the Ron Stone year. This is another guy who I think you always just saw oozed that potential but just never quite got all the way over the hump. And you are just seeing that this year. He just seems to be disruptive at the exact most opportune times it is possible. Another sack for Ron Stone, another two tackles for a loss, and seven overall tackles in that game. And he had a pass breakup. It is absolutely incredible the transformation Ron Stone has gone through this year. I am in literal awe over how well he is playing. The defense has also, yes, they gave up a lot of points to Stanford in that game, but they came up big at the exact right moments, including on that final drive against Stanford when Brennan Jackson recovered that fumble. And in the first half, I, I think I we would be remiss if we did not remember and give a heck of a lot of credit to the defense for the two stands they had in the first half because Stanford had the ball on the Washington State side of the 50 twice in that first quarter. So besides the touchdown they scored, they got the ball on the Washington State side of the 50 twice and the defense held them to six total points. That is so, so, so big because 21 to nothing is one thing. 13 to nothing is an entirely different thing. And when Washington State scored after that last Stanford field goal, I think we all kind of knew that this this was the drive it needed to happen on. Washington State had to go down there and do something. Even if it was just a field goal, they had to score on this drive because previous to that, they had not moved the ball at all against Stanford. The offense came out looking absolutely flat and putrid, and it was not against a defense that you would expect them to do that against. Stanford is not very good on defense this year. They're frankly not very good all over. I think you saw the issues with their running game um, in that one. But that was huge from the defense to get those. And I, They're not stops per se, but they, they were stops in the sense that you had to stop the bleeding there. Bleeding had to stop. Because it was going to get ugly if it didn't. So, thank God that they were there to do that uh, on those two drives. And again, the force fumble to end the game. Brennan Jackson recovers. I think it was Roof who had the um, who had the force fumble. Uh, again, does, is anybody more excited? Here's what I, I want to know: one thing is anybody more excited? To recover a fumble or get an interception than Brennan Jackson. <laughs> yeah, that interception that, like, I think it hit off Derek Langford uh, and the receiver he was covering against Oregon State, and he, like, he just, like, grabbed it with his bare paws uh, after it deflected off of them. And then he had that fumble recovery to end the game or to end Stanford's last drive last weekend. The dude puts the ball up, like, up in the air 
like in his hand and just sprints over to the sideline. I I legitimately I don't think I've ever seen a, a level of excitement for getting a football from a defensive player that I've seen that I see in Brennan Jackson. Like I like is the amount of adrenaline pumping through his body actually medically advisable? <laughs> um he and I look, I don't mean this in a bad way in any way whatsoever. I genuinely love that he is that excited to have the football. It just it it just I it was just an observation I had because it was frankly pretty nuts that he did that. Uh, we're going to wait and see, obviously, what uh, is going on with Dion McIntosh. Hopefully, he's back uh, for our next game coming up this week against BYU. Obviously, with all the turmoil going on, we're probably not going to find out. Same thing with Jihad Woods. We'll see what happens there. Um, but two really important guys to this football game, or football team, rather. And actually, that football game. Speaking of uh, that football game, BYU. And I said this in the intro, by the way. Um how this is this is literally this is not a one-off game this is not a you know this is not a one-time thing this is the back end of a home and home this is the back end of a home and home i'm not kidding these teams obviously played in 2012 they played two days no three days two days before i got married my wife and i have been together for nine years that is how long this home and home has been going on with BYU. They they have pushed it out a number of times because BYU is an independent, so they have to schedule everything, and they're going to be in the Big Twelve here in a couple of years. But this the 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 bookend is finally placed at the bottom of the bookshelf, and we get to close this home and home with BYU. Now this is not the best like version of BYU to come to Pullman. They are 55th in Bill Connolly's SP plus rankings, 37th on offense, 70th on defense and 102nd um, on special teams. Now, granted Washington state is down uh, at 79, 49th on offense and 98th on defense, 43rd on special teams though. Um, but this is a BYU team that's reeling. And if you wanted to see one team on your schedule the same week that all this stuff goes down in Pullman, um, other than Arizona, this is probably the team you wanted to see. They lost at home to a very beatable Boise State team and then went to Waco and frankly just got taken out behind the woodshed by the Bears. Something is going on with this football team, and it, it, quite a precipitous drop from where they were in the top 10 to now out of the top 25 altogether and rolling into Pullman with the need to work on some stuff. And I know if I'm BYU, you don't really want, like, what is the one truism in sports betting? A lot of the, the one, well, there are lots, according to a lot of people, but one of the one truisms is that you always bet on the team who had their coach fired. If you're the other team, if you're BYU and you're wanting to fix things, the last thing you probably want to see is a really pissed off football team across from you. And that's what they're going to see. Now, granted, I don't know how well organized they're going to be. I don't know how well Brian Smith's going to call the offense, any of that stuff. But we do know that they're rolling into Pullman and facing a team that is in a very bad mood or a very united mood. And they're kind of out here to show that you really shouldn't second-guess them. You shouldn't doubt them. 
Um, but this, you know, I, I think any time you can see BYU play a Pac-12 team, it means a little bit more. I know some BYU fans have been, they've been smarting over the lack of an invitation to the Pac-12 for a very long time, even though they are now going to the Big 12. I don't know if that's still the case, but I know they were in the past. Um, and, and, and this is a pretty big non-conference opponent to come into Pullman, and it's especially at a weird time in the middle of October that normally doesn't happen um, in Pullman. But this is a pretty big non-conference opponent. I would I would argue, and I think I'd be right, the biggest since Boise State rolled into town a few years ago. So um, this is a big game. It's big for Washington State for them to prove that uh, every little thing is going to be all right. Anyway, but it's also big for BYU in that, I mean, A, they get to, the, get to a bowl eligibility with this. But they need to pull the e-brake on this skid, man. Um, they need to figure out a way to get out of it. Because if they don't, uh, things are not looking very good for them. Things are looking very bad. They go to Virginia next week as well. They get Georgia Southern on the schedule later. But they got a USC later in the year. And I mean, SC is not great. But again, if you're not playing well, <laughs> doesn't look very good. After the fine song, let's talk to Nick Lee at Vanquish the Foe. Uh, our BYU expert for the week. Super helpful. Lots of really in-depth knowledge about the Cougars. Uh, we spent about 16 really good minutes with him, so he's coming up after the fight song on the Cook Center Hour. here on the Coog Center Hour, a battle of uh, the right to use the hashtag GoCougs on Twitter coming up this Saturday against the BYU Cougars um, from Provo, Utah. Joining us to talk about Brigham Young is Nick Lee of Vanquish the Foe, our sister site. Sister site. I leave all this in, Nick. I don't edit anything out. I said stite, which is not even really a word. Uh, sister site in the SB Nation network. Uh, Nick, so far, 5-2 and two for BYU. They got into the top 10, and then a loss to a very okay Boise State team, and then a loss to the Baylor Bears down in Waco. How are things kind of settling right now with this fan base? Because, you know, you would hear 5-2 and two and be like, hey, that's pretty good, but those last two losses were pretty not good. Yeah, well, it's funny. It's one of those where before the season starts, if you tell any BYU fan, hey, we're going to be 5-2, and two. oh yeah, and we also beat Utah for the first time since 2009. Uh-huh. What'd you ta- Before I even would finish the question, they would say, oh yeah, we'll take that for sure. <laughs> um, so there's that there's that element of it. But in all reality, when you start 5-0, and oh, when you start in the top 10, you start having a, some whispers of New Year's 6 or heck, even some college football playoff stuff, and then you drop two straight, one of them an extremely winnable game at home against Boise State, a very you, – you, yeah, very okay average Boise State team. Certainly not the Chris Peterson days, Boise State. Um, it, it's the Cougar fans in Provo are, are reeling right now. We are. Um, it, it's mm-hmm. it's a tough tough pill to swallow. We understand, but you know Baylor Baylor I think is 
one of the top two or three teams in the Big 12. I, I'm going to go ahead and say that. They're, they're a very solid football team. I don't think there's any shame losing to them in Waco, even though they're a future conference opponent. But um, the Boise State one, I think, has kind of set fans off, and it's kind of snowballed, unfortunately. And, and what happened in the Boise State game, unfortunately, snowballed into another loss to Baylor. It, the, some of the weaknesses mm-hmm. that Boise State exposed got exasperated. Mm-hmm. against Baylor and uh yeah we're, we're it's it's not um it's not a great feeling after starting 5-0 and 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 fans are kind of searching for answers and I think so are the coaches and especially on defense I will uh we'll get to the defense in a little bit but I, I want to circle all the way back to the beginning of your answer there uh, boy do you have my sympathies on thrilled to say you beat a rival for the first time in a decade um <laughs> what the heck is going on with the quarterback position at BYU because I see a whole lot of who should be playing, who might be playing, and I see a Romney in there, which gets everybody's ears perked up. What is what is going on at quarterback, Nick? Do, do they does BYU have a quarterback for this game? Do, do we know who's going to play quarterback? Yeah, it's pro- it's most likely going to be Jaron Hall. Okay, um, Jaron Hall, when healthy, until otherwise, is going to be QB one. Okay, and just yes. The, a lot of there, there's a, a pocket of fans who think that Baylor Romney is the guy and should be the guy. And while he, I think he is one of the more accurate passers in the country, not just in, in on the on campus, but he's got he's completing 80 percent of his passes um, through three so parts of three games, super accurate. But what Jaron Hall does, he adds his legs, his athleticism, mm-hmm. and his running ability. That just open. I mean, we both know that opens up a whole other pocket of your of your offense if you have a, a quarterback that can do some damage with his legs and Jaron Hall can do that in a way that Baylor Romney cannot even get close to and I think so if if, if all else is equal I think Baylor Romney is the a slightly better passer but Jaron Hall is the far better athlete and also Baylor Romney um, is still coming off of a concussion so his his status is not certified or certain for this game quite yet. Mm-hmm. As of now, it could be also Jacob Conover as the second string quarterback. But I'm going to go ahead and say Baylor Romney does get uh, approved to be the backup quarterback. But yeah, it is until anything major happens, Jaron Hall is QB one. You kind of mentioned this uh, a moment ago, but uh, you know the defensive struggles for BYU here recently. And one of the things I noticed, and this is kind of a thing for Wazoo fans too, is that. Um, at least until the last couple of games, is that Wazoo has seemed to have a script, um, you know, kind of in the first half, so to speak, and then everything kind of goes off the rails in the second half. BYU's been outscored by three touchdowns in the second half compared to in the first quarter when they're outscoring their opponents by, like, 40 points. Is, is there something about that second half that they're having trouble adjusting to, or or is it just the case that this is just not as good a second-half football team maybe as a first-half football team, or I'm just reading everything incorrectly and something else is going on? No, I, I think you're tracking there. Um, I, I do believe some of it is coaching. I, I think that the BYU can get out-coached in parts of the second half of games. I think that their opponents have been a bit more uh, apt to adapt at halftime. There's been mm-hmm. times, very frustratingly, where something clearly is not working uh, at – defensively for BYU and throughout the game and at halftime a lot of fans and, and people are expecting them to adjust and at, at times they have not there's been a, there have been a couple exceptions you know Utah the Utah State game I think was a pretty complete game um, and but in the, certainly in the in the Arizona Utah and Arizona State wins they they got out to a decent lead and they, they had to kind of hang on at the end mm-hmm. and uh, that's not a great feeling. Um, I, I think there's something schematic going on where teams 
kind of get in the game and figure out some things in the trenches that BYU is doing that they can adjust to at halftime and do it well. Um, BYU's faced some pretty good offenses and pretty good coaches and offensive minds um, in, in, the, in the seven games. But yeah, I think there's a little bit of getting out coached defensively, at least, or at least out adjusted might be a better way to say that. When BYU's offense is doing everything really well, what is it doing well? You mentioned Jaron Hall's legs. He can use his legs a little bit. He's an okay passer as well. But what is BYU's offense doing really, really well when it's cooking? Uh, well, his name is Tyler Algier. <laughs> um, that, that is what, when BYU is doing well, you will hear his name very often. And, and the Utah State win, he just went nuts in Logan, 22 carries. 218 yards and three touchdowns in that game. One of the better performances of the season overall for running backs, I think, in the off-college football. It's kind of tapered off a little bit. Clearly teams are keying on him as he went from 9.9 yards a carry at Utah State to 2.2 against Baylor. Mm-hmm. So clearly teams are, are gunning for it. But when this offense is humming, I mean, you know, BYU always is really good at recruiting big physical offensive linemen, strong guys, and when they're moving forward, we're on, when they're on the attack in the run game and, and creating chunks of yardage for Tyler Algier, that's when BYU's feeling at their best, and that's when they could really beat just about anyone in the country. Give me another name, uh, one other name that Wazoo fans should be on the lookout for because, you know, I, you know BYU's going to have enough offensive weapons. They're a good enough team. What's, what's one other person, one other player uh, you need to keep your eyes out for on Saturday? Uh, a, a player that uh, Wazoo fans might actually be familiar with, and that's Puka Nakua. I knew you were going to say it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it, Nick. <laughs> I know. I know. We did. Puka Nakua has been torturing the Cougars for a little bit here. I understand. Um, we are really excited about Puka Nakua here at BYU. I mean, UW transfer, and he's he's averaging twenty two point two yards a catch, and he's he's just done, he's been a phenomenal infusion of talent and just the the takeoff a top of a defense ability. Mm-hmm. And, and just he's, he's physical, but he's also speedy. I mean, he's, he's pretty much the whole package, Michael, when it, when it comes to a receiver. And BYU, you know, they, they can sometimes recruit, you know, the Austin Collies who are really surgical with their routes, but not necessarily a top-tier athlete. Or maybe those really good athletes who aren't as, as disciplined with routes and, and playbook. And, but I, I think Puka Nakua is as close to the whole package at wide receiver as BYU's had in a long, long time. Well, blessings to Jimmy Lake for not being the guy he wanted to play for. <laughs> Lucky us. We get to see him again. Can't get away. Um, let's move over to the defensive side of the football, Nick. Um, I, I know you mentioned kind of, you know, some of the weaknesses of this team being on that side of the ball. And as a, you know, a fan of a team who's certainly their offense is further along, we love to hear that. Um, one thing I noticed kind of is that QB sacks and tackles for a loss, they are behind what their opponents are doing so far this year. Is that kind of the biggest problem they have on that side of the football, or should we be looking elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, th- that also is a bit schematic. Um, defense coordinator Eliza Tuiaki is known, for better or for worse, as a – uh, rush three or four, drop seven or eight kind of coordinator, and he has, has lived and died by that. And and it's won BYU some big games. Like, uh, they, they beat a ranked USC team in 2019 that way. They went into Rocky Top and beat a decent Tennessee team. And that that's kind of been their bread and butter ever since. And mm-hmm. uh, living and dying by that is a little frustrating because, yeah, you drop that many back, and, and if you can't generate pressure organically with three or four guys, quarterbacks are going to pick you apart. And you're also not going to get a lot of tackles for loss 
mm-hmm. uh, that way. So um, I, I think BYU has a pretty good crop of linebackers. I think a key point that people are starting to forget this late in the year is the loss of Keenan Peely. Mm-hmm. He's not only the best middle linebacker for BYU, but also a defensive captain. That Bobby Wagner of that team, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and losing him early in the year to an ACL injury devastated this team. And th- this team, statistically, if you look at before and after that injury, it's not even close. I know right. he, he's not uh, he's not you know, a first-round pick, all-world all, all linebacker, but he was pretty much the heart and soul of that defense and that, that voice, that calming presence you have on defense. He, it's just not been there. And I think that also has, has contributed to the lack of aggressive plays. Is that so? Kind of, kind of lead me a little bit further down. So it's, it's, you know, it's obviously not the the sacks and and that issue. But so, so what is? So it's just, it's mostly the pass defense. That's what's been the biggest Achilles heel so far. Because I, you know, speaking from experience, a uh, you know team that had a guy like Peyton Pelour, which again, you know, not going to get drafted, but he is the heart and soul of the defense. Is that just kind of everything? Just kind of radiates out from that guy, and it all kind of slowly falls apart without him. Uh, part of that, yeah, and um, I think there is something schematically going on with with teams being able to run a bit more on BYU. Mm-hmm. Baylor ran for three hundred and three yards on BYU. I mean, that's, that, a that's, yards. that's a lot of yards. That's a lot of rushing yeah. yards. That's a lot. Of yards. Um, so that is not just Keenan Peely. That is schematics. That is getting out coached, and also just a lack of execution, staying in your gaps, and and there's some inexperience with with some of the attrition. I think the common critique among BYU fans with this independent schedule, which I, I'm a personal big fan of. I also am excited for the Big Twelve, but um, one of the, the drawbacks is normally you can get those big, quote, power five games early in the year. Mm-hmm. And so BYU usually has three, four or five of them lined up in a row in September. And that leads to attrition. That leads to injuries. That leads to just getting worn down. BYU doesn't have their bye week till November, I think. So I think it's a lot of fatigue, injuries, and just getting out coached um, in the trenches. And that led to a just an absolute monster game for Baylor on the ground. So if you want to beat BYU, <laughs> maybe uh, make sure that running game is fine-tuned because uh, it's it's open season right now in the trenches. I don't know if it's um, – that they're Boise, what Boise State did was they pulled a lot of guards. They kicked out a lot of guys that were that were not in the right space, and, and linebackers were kind of left hanging out to dry. And, and, and it looked like the d- defensive line – with some inexperience and in, in injuries were a bit disheveled and mm-hmm. that carried over to Baylor. Let's uh, we'll get to a prediction on this game really quickly because you did touch on something I kind of would like to touch on, and that is BYU will be going to the Big 12 here in a couple of years. I'm assuming, you know, you said you're a fan of the independent schedule. What has been the general feeling uh, on that invite? Because I, you know, again, my interpretation could be wrong here, but it seems like BYU fans have kind of been waiting for an invite to one of those Power 5 conferences for quite a while now. Oh, yeah. It's been something that they've waited for for 40-something years, ever since mm-hmm. the, the Lavelle Edwards days in BYU, the last, quote, non-Power 5 team to win a national championship in 1984. The BYU has been building to be part of the big, quote, big boy table for a long time. And this is a long time coming. I know. Say what you want about the, the, the new Big 12 and what the quality of, of football that will come, but Make no mistake, they are considered a Power 5 conference still, and BYU is over the moon. Fans, everybody, over the moon to be part of the Power quote, power 5 conference uh, table. Uh, that, that, and all that, that it brings, and, and if, if people are a fan of basketball, that basketball conference mm-hmm. gets really, really exciting too. you got Kansas and Baylor, uh, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State coming to, to Provo every single year. That's just going to be super exciting. Yeah, I haven't met w- not one BYU fan. That is like, ah, I don't know about this. I, you know, I, don't, I don't think we should do it. No. Every single one to a man or a woman 
is extremely excited for 2023 to get Big 12 play started. Okay, so it's been good is what you're telling me. Okay, I, yes. I think I've heard that. We could be fine with that. Um, this is actually, uh, I don't know how many folks know this, this game is actually closing the book on a home-and-home home that BYU has pushed out a couple of times since Wazoo played in Provo in 2012, uh, two days before I got married. That's how long it's been uh, that this series has been going on. Uh, the book will be closed on it officially at about 4 o'clock on Saturday. What do you think the scoreboard says uh, at about that time? Ah, yes, the old Jeff Tool days. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, well, yeah, and Connor Halliday and whoever. Oh, the yeah. smattering of quarterbacks they threw at the problem <laughs> that year, yes. Well, this is a tough one because I I know, unfortunately, you guys have some, some turmoil going on in Pullman with, with your coaching status, and and I, my heart goes out to you guys. That, 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 that really stinks. Um, really, it's kind of – before the, all that hoopla, Wazoo was feeling themselves with a three-game winning streak, and it's gotten a lot of BYU Cougars fans nervous. With, I mean, these two teams were, on, at least on the field, going in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. And this is either a get-right game for BYU, or the mojo continues post Nick Rolovich for for Wazoo. Um, I I'm going to go ahead and, and just assume, just as a as a pessimistic fan and a pessimistic person, of, of, <laughs> you know, I, I I want the best for BYU, obviously. But I've seen I've watched a lot of BYU football and kind of see a lot of trends. Um, I I think Wazoo will probably come out pretty motivated. I, I think I could tell that the, the players really cared for Rolovich, and I, I I expect them to come out pretty inspired. And I'm wondering if if BYU has the coaching acumen to uh, properly adjust and, and make and fix what's what's wrong with this defense. And I'm going to go ahead and say Wazoo wins a squeaker and in a good game. I'm expecting a pretty good, close, competitive game. I think BYU will write some things, but I'm not sure it's going to be enough just with the, try, trying to stop that snowball going downhill and, and going to Pullman against a team that's won three straight, not exactly a recipe to, to fix mistakes and, and to get right. So I'm going to say a Washington State – 30 BYU 24 I think it's going to be uh, around that range I think BYU will be competitive but I just think that there's there's some real issues on BYU's defense that mm-hmm. unfortunately might not be able to be fixed in a week or two my sodium levels can't take another close one uh Nick Lee uh, no. of Vanquish the Foe uh have a good time in Pullman on Saturday sir we appreciate your time thank you very much I'm looking forward to my trip Dunderhead of the Week time, and this is kind of one of those ones that could also, you know, just be permanent. Um, You may have heard the Washington football team, not the University of Washington, the NFL team that's in Washington, D.C. Um, 
decided to retire Sean Taylor's number last weekend. A much beloved player who died tragically a number of years ago, I believe in a shooting, I can't remember exactly how. Um, but died uh, over a decade ago at this point. Um, and the, re the, I said the old name, the Washington football team, um, after a very tumultuous couple of weeks regarding some emails that the NFL had gotten their hands on as part of their investigation into, you know, gestures broadly at everything regarding them, um, decided that they needed a little bit of good PR, and they decided that a dead man's retired number was just the way to go. That included allowing your VIP section to stand on the number of his that you painted on the side of the field, dedicating the street outside your stadium in front of a bunch of portolets, your owner wearing a sweatshirt with the family at the photo op before the game, and then the coup de grace of it all, frankly, was just the no speeches when you actually retired the number. Dead guys aren't props, especially ones that are loved by your team because we're trying to deflect a little attention away from the bad things we may or may not have been doing, but we probably definitely were because it's Dan Snyder and I don't know why I'm talking like this, but I'm pocketed at this point. Good for Sean Taylor. His number's retired posthumously, but uh, yeah, maybe don't, again, don't use the dead guy as PR, please. Especially when it's so nakedly that, that we're just all going to ignore it anyway and keep talking about it. Like, like, don't make it obvious when you're doing the PR thing with the dead person. That's just generally good life advice for any of you, frankly. And I, and I hope you all take it to heart. Ask Michael anything time. Sports has a lot of crappy owners, man, but... <laughs> That dude might actually take the cake. I'm not kidding about that. Ask Michael anything time at SeanPC7, Sean Clements. If you had to join the military, which branch would you choose and why? I tried to ask everybody to not do, you know, questions about the obvious thing. Uh, this is a good one, actually. Uh, my uh, dearly departed grandfather used to tell me uh, to join the Navy. And I don't know how true this is um, because you can always get a hot cup of coffee and a sandwich and you always got a place to go to the bathroom. And for me, that's like, like, yeah, I need something to eat and I need to be comfortable while I'm going number two. That's that's what I need if I'm going to do that. At Donnie Schlecht, uninteresting at 1986. Do you honestly agree that Pat Chun is at fault for making a bad hire? His apology and a lot of people questioning his abilities is weird to me. He's made great hires and Rolo likely would have been great sans COVID. Thoughts? Um, I actually think that's probably true. Um, this whole pandemic thing is pretty much a, a once in a century type thing. Um, and... <laughs> You know, if, if it doesn't happen and your coach's machinations about a vaccine are not known, his politics aren't known. I mean, even Mike Leach's politics were well known and he was doing fine in Pullman because that's one place you can get away with it. Um, yeah, he probably would have been fine. Legitimately. At the Daniel Heist, Daniel Heist, a few questions. What show should we be watching right now? Only Murders in the Building. It's the only thing I'm really watching. How many season tickets would you buy if WSU started a varsity men's hockey program? Two, just as I've done for basketball. And thoughts on possibly building a new basketball arena event center where Boulder Gym currently sits and upon completion, demolishing Beasley to add classroom and or housing, uh, student housing buildings. Um, I would put the arena in the parking lot next door to Beasley. I don't think you can build a big enough arena right where Bowler is. The footprint isn't quite big enough. You know, again, without knowing a ton about arenas, it's admitted. It's one of my many blind spots. 
Um, but I, I would build the new building in the parking lot across from Beasley. That's again, we've I think we talked about before. That's probably the next really big upgrade on campus is Beasley Coliseum. Whether you renovate the heck out of the building or whether you build something new entirely. At CQG8606, lifelong Kraken fan Sean, name at least one show everyone says you should watch but you refuse to watch. What's the uh, Squid Game? I don't like violence in my TV. We've talked about that. I don't like it. I don't care for it. And I think I've heard it is violent. I don't want to watch that. And I don't want existential crises um, when I'm watching television late at night. I don't need to deal with that. I don't need that. At Sports with Neil, Sports with Neil and Friends, Cougar Volleyball, future Pac-12 champs or future Pac-12 champs? That's a big hill to climb in this conference, man. That's a big hill to climb. Oh, my goodness. In this conference, it's so hard. Um, I think Jen Greeny's team, you know, she's always going to have a good team. They're always going to go to the NCAA tournament. And I think that's about the extent that, of which you can ask of a Demon Pullman. Because she's recruiting well, but there is still, you need to do just a little bit more to get all the way over the hump. And unfortunately, UW, UCLA, SC, Stanford, all those big schools, they just have a little bit more of an advantage. Uh, at a good old age, McFly, is Pat Chun less likely to be on a short list for AD searches in the near future because of the recent Rolo mess? Yes. At Chris McKinterf, Chris McKinterf, what stadium arena, any sport, tops the list of places you've never been? Oh, ooh, so like a place that I want to go the most? Ooh. Oh, well, the Rose Bowl. I've still never been to the Rose Bowl. Um, I'd love to go to Estadio Azteca in Mexico City. Maybe not when the U.S. is playing there. I'd like to, like, enjoy myself. Um, I'm, <laughs> if they did a sporting event at the Coliseum, I'd really like that. Um, I like. I don't think there's really, like, another stadium. Kind of, you know, like, oh, oh, I've never been to the Big House. I've always wanted to go there. I'm a big Michigan fan. Um, and I, I would love to see... Um, I would love to see it. It's Enter Salmon at Virginia Tech, I think, right? I think I've got that right. I probably don't. Don't worry about it. Um, at Pretty Fair Beer, Pretty Fair Beer, what's the best gas station snack for long drives? A Dr. Pepper and sea salt and vinegar chips. I love them. Or a Payday Bar. Payday Bars are really good, too. I really like those. Washington State, 34, BYU, 21. Why don't we just call our shot now? They come out a little bit motivated, and they play their butts off. We'll talk to you next week on the Cook Center Hour.